Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to read beginning in verse 32. 32. The writer of Hebrews says, And and what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth, the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. I want to teach today a message titled, Samson, Strengths and Weaknesses. Samson, Strengths and and weaknesses. Let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for a church that has been called out of darkness into your marvelous light through Jesus Christ and your gospel. I thank you as a people, Lord, that we are set apart. We are sanctified for your glory. We are being made fit and equipped for your purpose and your kingdom. Lord, I thank you for a church, Lord, that is growing in grace and the knowledge of you. I thank you Lord, for a church that is reaching out to others, that is demonstrating your kingdom. Lord, that is in a posture to serve and be used of you. Lord, I thank you for a church that as we gather, we can encounter your power. Lord, the power to release us from darkness and heal our broken heart and set us, Lord, into places of liberty where we have been bound. Lord, I thank you for a church that will unashamedly magnify you and declare your worthiness, Lord God. In Jesus' mighty name, God, we thank you that you surround us with favor like a shield. We thank you that you order our steps. We thank you, Jesus, that your name's above every name, God. We thank you for your protection, your kindness, and your mercies that are new each morning. In Jesus' mighty name, bless and speak to your people. Lord, in Jesus' name, have your way in hearts and lives. For this we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. So be it. Hallelujah. Well, in the chapter of faith found in Hebrews chapter 11, notice that Samson is mentioned alongside many others who through faith subdued kingdoms, who through faith worked righteousness, who through faith obtained promises, who through faith stopped the mouths of lions, who through faith quenched the violence of fire, who through faith escaped the edge of the sword, who through faith out of weaknesses were made strong, who became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Notice it was through faith. Through faith. One of the phrases there is, out of weaknesses 
were made strong. You see this tension in this context of there being weaknesses and there being strengths and how out of weaknesses strength can come. When we look at this life of a man named Samson and the events surrounding his life found in the book of Judges, there are numerous truths and life applications that we can draw from the life of Samson. For example, we can see a contrast or we can see a difference between the following in the life and the story surrounding a man named Samson. A strength by gifting versus a strength by learning faith. You can see the difference and the contrast between you being strong and you being strong through God. You can see a contrast between God's role and your role. You can see a contrast for a rule for all of our life, a guiding principle for all of our life versus a specific work God has for us. You can see a distinguishing contrast in the story of Samson of being careful to remember what God told you and being forgetful of what God has already told everyone. You can see a contrast between weaknesses being made strong and weaknesses leading to other weaknesses. You can see a contrast between guarding our strengths and our strengths' vulnerability. In Judges chapter 13 and 1, we begin to read about the beginning of this life story of the man named Samson. It says, Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Listen, it's no different today. Every generation, every season, you have the church of Jesus Christ and the people of God. You have people that are tempted, become vulnerable, and begin to embrace the methods and the thinking and the cultural acceptable sins of their day. You see this, it's no different. And you find in the nation of Israel how this would happen in each generation. That the covenant people of God, many of them would begin to embrace acceptable cultural trends and standards, worldly values. And it would lead to oppression and difficulties. God would raise up these judges. He would raise up a standard. He would raise up a remnant. He would raise up a demonstration of truth and righteousness and holiness in such contexts. This is what was happening in the days of Israel that we're reading about. For 40 years, the children of Israel are under the oppression, under the cultural values of the Philistines. Wrong thinking, things that were grievous to the Spirit of God and the heart of God. But verse 2 says, Now there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, It's very interesting in this story as we never find out the name of this woman. Show some of the cultural 
excessiveness of these days, the days then, but devaluing of females. I want to affirm that as a church, we believe what Joel 2 declared and what was fulfilled in Acts 2, that God's pouring out His Spirit on men and women, on young men and young women, that God empowers the church of Jesus Christ to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. But his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive. Oh, what good news. And you shall bear a son. Now therefore please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink, and not to eat anything unclean, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. And no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Notice here that you see that they are barren as a couple. They had no children. But out of that place of barrenness, out of that place of having no children, out of that weakness, strength comes. That God's strength to conceive when they had been unable to conceive on their own, comes out of that place. That out of that weakness, Samson comes. That out of that weakness, a deliverer comes. Now, we have a hermeneutical crossroad. In fact, in every story of Scripture that we read, in every passage of Scripture we read, we have a hermeneutical challenge and a framework to decide on. In this story, in reading scripture, regarding our lives, and dealing with our weaknesses, and here is the hermeneutical meaning, an interpretational need. Does God want us to continue to experience the results of the weaknesses we have? Let me ask you another one. Does God want us to keep being weak? Or does God want us to be strong? Or lastly, or does it depend by what is meant by weakness? Now as people who live in what the Bible calls the end of the ages, the last days, since Jesus Christ was manifested and established the new covenant through the shedding of His blood and His body being broken. If Jesus is now to be our main hermeneutical grid and framework and understanding Scripture and the application of all Scripture, if Jesus Christ and His finished work is to now be the primary lens for our interpretation, we have to ask ourselves, what did Jesus model? What did He model? Before we answer that, and I talk about that more, there are three weaknesses that the Bible clearly categorizes. The first is what's called the weakness of the body. Whether you're aware of it or not, you and I have a weakness in the fact that we are human because we have a body. The weakness of the body is that because we have a body, we can only be at one place at a time. We are confined to where our body is at. It's a weakness of the body. Another weakness of the body 
is that our body experiences becoming tired. We do not have unlimited energy. Our body gets drained of energy. This is what Scripture calls a weakness of the body. God never sleeps nor slumbers. Because as God, He doesn't have the weakness of the body. A weakness of the body is you can only have one conversation at a time. You can't be attentive and talk and communicate and converse with multiple people effectively, simultaneously. Another weakness of the body the scripture presents is that our body can become sick. This is what oftentimes weakness is translated as infirmity. It means a weakness or a sickness and infirmity of the body. Now Jesus Christ, when he was on the earth, he experienced weakness of the body. He could only be at one place at one time. He had to prioritize what the Father had for him. He couldn't get involved in everything or he would not be effective in what the Father did have for him. Oftentimes people would try to get him involved in stuff. There was a brother who was having a fight with a a sibling over the inheritance and they come to Jesus saying, Jesus, help us out. And he said, who has made me judge over those matters? He didn't get involved. He experienced the weakness of the body. Do you understand when Jesus was on the earth, there were still young babies dying from hunger? See, oftentimes we have this fantasy idea of what Jesus did when He came. He didn't fix every solution practically because He had the weakness of the body. He couldn't be at every nation at every point. In fact, He didn't travel much outside of the area that He was born in. It was a weakness of the body. However, Jesus never experienced the weakness of the body in the sense of sickness. Sickness. Until he took the weakness of the body, infirmities and sicknesses, on the cross. And Matthew takes the prophet Isaiah's words and in Matthew 8 he says that he himself took our infirmities and our weaknesses in his own body on the tree of the cross that we might be healed. That's the weakness of the body. Secondly, there's what the scripture calls the weakness of the flesh. The Greek word is sarx, S-A-R-X. And the weakness of the flesh, one of it is that we have needs. As humans, we have a weakness of the flesh. We have needs. We are needy. And it's a weakness of the flesh. We're needy. For instance, we need others. That's a weakness of the flesh. Another weakness of the sarks is that we experience temptations. That's a weakness of the flesh. Another weakness of the flesh is we're limited in our understanding. That the weakness of our human ability and our human mind is that we're limited in the knowledge we have. We're limited in our understanding. Another weakness of the flesh is our personality. For instance, some of you are absolutely horrible with numbers. You're horrible with numbers. That's a weakness of the flesh. It's a weakness of your personality. I have weaknesses of my personality. So do you. Now Jesus experienced weakness of the flesh. 
He experienced temptation. The Bible says he was yet tempted in all ways like you and I, except without sin. That way, that's the reason he is the way of escape for us when we are tempted. Did you know Jesus did not operate on the earth as God? With omniscience, with all-knowing divinity of knowing everything as God. He operated on earth as a man submitted to God the Father, dependent on the fullness of the Spirit, and he needed words of wisdom and words of knowledge in order to be able to discern and know what to do in certain situations. He experienced this weakness of the flesh and human personality. But lastly, there is what Scripture calls weakness of character. This is what also is uh, called weakness of soul. Now Jesus had none of these. He had no weakness of character. He had no weakness of soul. In fact, for 33 years you see God's revealed and manifested strength in His soul. You see God's character consistently in a man, Jesus of Nazareth. You see God's strength for 33 years. You never see a weakness of character in Jesus. You see strength. But on that cross, God made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, who knew no character weaknesses, who knew no weakness of soul, no weakness of wrong thinking, no weakness of wrong desires and affections. He, God, made Jesus, who knew no sin and character weakness, to become our weaknesses so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And we see that now out of the cross came resurrection. That out of weakness came God's strength. That out of the cross and out of death, we see victory comes forth. That out of the embraced weakness of the cross, God's strength for triumph. Came forth. This is what Paul, even Paul, says regarding strength coming out of weaknesses, victory coming out of the cross, eternal overcoming life coming out of death. In 2 Corinthians 13, 4, Paul says, For though he, Jesus, was crucified in weakness. Notice that. The cross was a picture of being crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. That out of the weakness of the cross, the power of God came forth. Resurrection power. Do you know the difference between resurrection power and just power? Is resurrection power is overcoming power. See, God does not just have power. He's got resurrection power. He's got the power that enables us to overcome the character weaknesses and the things that's been done to us, passed down to us, or we brought upon ourselves. Let me hear an amen. He's got resurrection power. Notice then he says, the Apostle Paul, For we also are weak in Him, in Jesus, but we shall live with Him by the power of God. What's Paul saying? He's not saying we're weak in Him regarding character weaknesses. Weak in Him, he tells you what that means. This is a letter to the Corinthians. Paul wrote numerous letters to the Corinthians. Only two were preserved. 
We don't have the preservation of the others. But Paul in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians speaks of what weakness he's talking about. The weakness he's talking about is that in regards to worldly standards and in regards to cultural standards of what is considered excellence of speech, acceptable communication, Paul was weak to the world. He says, I was with you in much fear and trembling. He said, my speech was contemptible to the Corinthians. That according to the cultural standards of Corinth, Paul did not speak with the excellence that Corinthians demanded or desired culturally. And he says, so in Christ I'm weak compared to the world's standards, compared to the world's measurements, but it's so the power of God shall be experienced. In fact, most scholars believe that the Apostle Paul as a, a Jewish man was about five feet tall and completely bald. That his presence, according to Corinthian and cultural standards, didn't measure up. There was nothing mighty about his physical presence. His speaking ability. In that sense, he was weak in Jesus regarding cultural worldly standards and measurements. Paul says, listen, that he had a thorn in the flesh. Now I've seen brothers and sisters make grievous, grievous wrong interpretational framework to their own demise regarding that. Let me tell you what Paul didn't say. He didn't say he had a thorn in his character. He clearly says, I had a thorn in the flesh. Not a thorn in his soul, it was a thorn in his flesh, a messenger of Satan, and he appealed to Jesus to take the thorn in his flesh. But Jesus said, no, my grace is sufficient for that. In fact, strength is made complete in such weakness. Paul said, therefore, I'll accept that, that affliction in my flesh that the power of God may be upon me. What you see here is that we should be weary and suspect of the strength seen in the world. But we should not be antagonistic towards God's heavenly strength. When it comes to worldly strength, when it comes to the world's standard and measurements of what is powerful and what is acceptable, what is strength and success, we should be weary and suspect. But we should not fall into the other ditch as the people of God that that means we're to live lives of weakness. You don't want to fall into that ditch. We should not be against God's heavenly strength. We should not be against His resurrection power to overcome. So I want to submit to you up front in this message. God desires you to be strong. He just doesn't want you to be strong in your own strength. Listen. So he often 
lets us experience weakness so that His strength can make us strong. Listen, God wants us strong, but it is not to be our strength. It is strength from Him, and becoming first weak is normally the way. See, listen to me. It's not, I can do all things, period. No, it is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Strength in Christ is experienced only after one first accepts that on their own, they cannot. Meaning we have to first embrace weakness, and in the embracing of weakness, God's strength and resurrection power can come out of that weakness. Jesus had to first embrace the cross, so that then resurrection power could come out of the cross. See, oftentimes it's easy to sit back and sit from the distance and wrongly judge people or brothers and sisters. Because oftentimes people get confused between arrogance and a God confidence. They get confused between self-pity and true humility. And I need us as a church to understand that God wants us strong. He just don't want us strong in our own strength. He wants us strong in His strength. God doesn't want us always failing and being under. God wants us overcoming. He just wants us overcoming by His power, by His favor, by His hand. Hallelujah. Somebody give the Lord praise today. God wants you strong, just not you strong without Him. God wants you strong, just not in your own strength. God wants to increase you, just not increase you without Him. So number one, you see there on your card, God wants to be my strength. you got to make it personal. He don't just want to be your neighbor's strength. He don't just want to be your friend's strength. God wants to be my strength. Wow, hallelujah. Secondly, this leads us, because God provides the strength, I should be careful. Wow, let me say it again. Because God provides the strength, I should be careful. In Judges 13 and verse 3, we have in this life surrounding the man named Samson, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed now, you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. Did you see it? You shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, please be careful. Listen, God provides strength. And the fact that God provides us strength and His power and His available and, and uh, His ability and His resources should provide us with enough reason to be careful with what He has spoken to us. See, this is what the New Testament sets for us. It's not just the grace of God. The New Testament is... It's the grace and the ability of God, but in truth. Listen, it's not just grace, God doing for me what I cannot do. It's 
God's role and my role. God's role is to provide the strength. My role is to be careful in what He's communicated and revealed and led me to do. The fact that God gives us what we don't deserve shouldn't mean that then we are uncareful in other areas of our life. It actually should do the opposite and make us be careful in what He's instructed to us. That's why in the New Testament, Paul repeatedly and all the apostles, they highlighted the grace and the power and the ability of God now through the New Covenant, but they never left the tension in what it was accord or joined to. They said it's grace and purpose. Don't allow the ability of God, don't allow the strength of God to not be connected to His purpose. To His purpose. It's grace and purpose. It's grace and what grace teaches us how we should live. That we should be careful in other areas. Paul said, there was the gracious words of our Lord Jesus Christ, but it accords, that means it's joined to the doctrine of godliness. You see it. Because God shall give us ability in areas of what we can't do, we should be careful in what we can do. See, listen, the more you value something, the more careful you are regarding it. I'll say it again. The more you value something, the more careful you are regarding it. If we value God's resurrection power, if we value God's strength, if we value God's grace, then what should we do? We would be, should be more careful because of its value. So God wants to be my strength. Because God provides the strength, I should be uh, careful. And then number three, our weakness can potentially make us so needy that it becomes our only selfish concern and we then lack wisdom in other areas. We all start off with character weaknesses. We still experience weaknesses of the body. We still experience weaknesses of the flesh and of our personality. The danger is, is when we get so needy because of our weaknesses that it becomes our primary concern and it blinds us from the wisdom we need in other areas. I see this in our main story. Let's look at it in Judges 13 and verse 6. So the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of, of the angel of God. Very awesome. But I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his, even his name. And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Notice this. This woman, my Noah's wife, has this man come to her. This man was amazing, she said. This man that came to her, oh, he was a man of God. I can imagine she goes back to her husband. Manoah, this man came to me and he was fine. I mean, you got to understand, this guy was awesome. He looked so fine. He looked like an angel of God. His face just radiated with life. I mean, it looked like he had Botox and... I mean, not better than Botox, never needed Botox. I mean, this man was awesome, I know it. 
I mean, he was a man of God. This dude was awesome. He's like an angel. And he told me I was going to conceive a son. Now, wait a minute. (laughs) If you're man Noah, if you're the husband, and you start hearing the wife say, Oh, I met this man. This man was a fine man. This man was like an angel. This man had a countenance like no other. And he said, I'm going to bear a child. Listen. Ladies, let me help you out. The husband, man, Noah's going to ask, now wait a minute, who is this guy? What was his name? Where is he from? Have you ever met him before? And was he clear on who's to be the father of that child? Listen, that's the normal reaction. But the wife has become so needy. She's become so focused on her barrenness. She's become so focused on the weakness that she has of not being able to conceive and bear a child that that's all she heard when he came. And she didn't think about the natural wisdom needed. Like, dude, what's your resume? Like, who are you? Where are you from? She wasn't even thinking, you know, my husband's going to ask who this guy is. This guy that's saying, I'm going to have a child. This guy that I'm going to say was so amazing. Who looked like an angel of God. See, her neediness and her self-focus led to her also being unwise in her dealing with her husband. All she's walking around thinking is, I'm getting my child. I know you're called man Noah husband, but this dude was man awesome. This dude was man awesome, and man awesome told me, I'm, I'm going to have a child. Well, that's not going to be wisdom when that conversation goes down. So this is the danger you and I face with our weaknesses. Our weaknesses can so start to consume us that it becomes our focal, fixed attention. And we then lack wisdom in other areas. But did you know that this can happen not just with our weaknesses becoming too enlarged in our priority and our vision and our attention, but the same can happen with our strengths. That not only can our weaknesses begin to become so much of a focus in our life, but our strengths can become too primary in focus. We see this in the life of their son, Samson. This is what number four says. When we have had God's strength so long, it is possible to forget its source. When we have had God's strength so long, we can forget its source. Now when you read the life of Samson, you see God's strength threaded throughout his situations, his circumstances, his life. For instance, Samson had seen God's strength in his life get him out of an attack from a lion. Samson had seen God's strength get him out of owing 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes to 30 men. God had, Samson had seen God's strength get him out of financial moments, financial needs. Samson has seen God's strength get him out of being 
arrested from a thousand Philistines. Samson has experienced practically and seen God get him out of being trapped in a city when an army surrounded the city and was at the gates. Samson has seen even God's strength get him out of unwise decisions and compromising circumstances. Several times in his relationships with Delilah and the Philistines. And what we see though is it's possible to get so used to victory and God's strength coming that we forget its source. And when we forget its source, we begin to allow our strength to become so vulnerable. Our strength can become actually a vulnerability when we forget its source. This is serious because number five, the long play of the enemy is to cut the source of your strength. Listen, maybe you've heard that the enemy is only trying to set snares and tempt you in the now. I'm going to tell you that's not the case. He is trying to set snares and he is trying to tempt you today, but he's also doing more than that. His long-term goal and plan for each and every one of us is to cut the source of our strength. To cut the source of our strength. You see this in Judges 16 and verse 6. Samson has got into this relationship that's unwise. He's seen God's strength come and help him in these unwise decisions and these compromising, this compromised relationship several times before. But Samson's not aware of the long-term play of the enemy which is to actually cut the source of his strength. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. Verse 19, Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. Verse 20, And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. Now, she had done this many a times before, but Samson had seen God's strength get him out of the unwise decisions, the compromising circumstances. So Samson awoke from his sleep and he said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. Watch this. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. See, Samson's source of strength had been cut from him this time. The locks of his hair that was never to be cut, that God said, this is to be the source, the method that I've determined for your life to allow my power to be in your life. It was cut. This is why following Jesus, you've got to understand, you have to get in following Jesus the source of your strength for following Jesus. That's why people think all the time when they have wrong attitudes regarding prayer and fasting and spending time in scriptures and meditation and going in the secret place with the Heavenly Father and communing with the Holy Spirit, when people have a wrong perception and they hear other brothers and sisters talk about it, they, because their mind's still warped and needs to be renewed, they say, oh, you think you're better than us. Because you got a prayer life. Because you fast. Because you spend time with the Father. It's actually the exact opposite. When you hear a brother and sister talk about that, it's because they know how awesome they aren't. 
It's because they understand how many weaknesses they have. It's because they understand the long-term plan of the enemy is to cut their strength from following Jesus. So they have... A, a guarding of where their strength comes from that their help cometh from their maker the maker of heaven and earth their help don't come the source of their strength don't come from this earth it comes from the heavenly father who they must seek in secret you got to be a person that learns to abide oftentimes people come and they want to use their gifts or they They want to extend the kingdom of God. They want to move forward in what they feel God's called them to. And you ask them, are you diligent and faithful to spend time in the secret place with the Father? Because listen, you might be able to sustain what you're doing for the Lord or that the Lord's called you to for a season without abiding, without that. But remember, the long-term plan of the enemy is to go and cut the source of your strength. Source of your strength. And that's how he set Samson up. Samson saw God's strength keep coming upon him in these circumstances. But Samson neglected to carefully guard the source of his strength. To not play around with the source of his strength i got to tell us, we can't play around with not seeking first the kingdom of God. We can't play around with not seeking first the Father and being in His presence and being in the secret place. We can't play around with that because that's how the enemy will cut your source of strength long term. That's how he cuts people from following Jesus. That's how you have people that's been around following Jesus for decades and they're no longer following Jesus. Why? Because the long term play of the enemy is to cut the source of strength. It's like people people want God to do this and God to do that in their life but they can't be faithful in the common things where God provides strength for their life. It's like you know, I've had people before, and I, I, I try to take the posture to trust everyone until they give me a reason not to trust them. Not a posture of mistrust, but trust. And there's people who want to be trusted with what other people have had to walk through crosses and obey God to get. And it's our hope that they can be trusted in it. But the thing is, is the way you measure, do they have... The ability to guard the strength and the source of their strength is can they be faithful? Like can they be faithful to do where God's strength comes from? In the assembling of themselves with brothers and sisters and being in the secret place of walking daily with God. So his source of strength had been cut this time. Number six we see in the life of Samson Guard your strengths by submitting your character weaknesses. Guard your strengths by submitting your character weaknesses. In Judges 14, 17 it says, Now she had wept on him the seven days while their feast lasted. And it happened on the seventh day that he told her because she pressed him so much. Then she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. So Samson had went down to another city and he saw this woman who was not of the nation of Israel. She was a Philistine and he desired her and he he asked his parents to arrange the marriage. 
even though God had told Israelites not to marry outside of their nation, not because it's wrong to marry cross-culturally, but because they didn't serve the one true God. They were idolaters and demon worshipers. So he has this woman that they're now engaged. And a part of the marriage cultural setup of that day, they would have a big feast. They would invite men of the city to the celebration. And Samson gives a riddle to the men. And he says, listen, if, if you find out the answer to the riddle, I'll owe you. I'll give you garments. But if you don't find out the riddle, you're going to set me up good for the beginning of my marriage. You're going to owe me garments and you're going to give this. Well, this wife was deeply joined to her culture and the people of her culture. Not just this fiancé named Samson. So her people began to press her, and because her people began to press her because they didn't want to have to pay up to Samson, she began to press Samson. Notice it said she pressed him, and she pressed him so much that eventually he told her the answer. Notice it says she pressed him seven times. Seven in the Bible means the process of completion. Listen, the enemy will try to keep pressing you in an area until he brings that pressing to a completion, if you let him. And when it came to completion, he told her. Now, in another situation, you see the same character weakness of Samson. That marriage falls apart, it becomes a mess. Samson later, out of that weakness, out of his character weakness, out of the hurt of it, he begins to spend time with a harlot. With a prostitute, basically. He begins to get in an ungodly relationship with her. And Judges 16.6, as the band comes, says this, And it came to pass when she, Delilah, pestered him daily, notice that, with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death, that he told her all his heart and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head. For I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. Did you see it? She pestered him and she pressed him that his soul was vexed. His, the weakness of his soul was vexed. So what you see in Samson's life is you see Samson had a character weakness that showed in his relationships. It showed with his relationship with his parents. But then Samson had another character weakness that was able to be manipulated in his relationship with women. And Samson also had a character weakness of demonstrating self-destructed habits. Why? Because he kept putting himself in unwise places, compromising places, so that then God's strength would come upon him. Listen, that is self-destructive. For you to keep putting yourself in wrong relationships and places where you need God's supernatural strength to come and rescue you, that means you have some self-destructive habits. You see it in the life of Samson. 
When I think about this self-destructive habit he had, I wonder if he got it from his parents. Because listen to this, in Judges 13, 22, Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. After the angel appeared to his wife, Manoah said, he prayed. He said, I need to make sure this man knows what he's talking about. And that that man don't think that he's going to be the father of my child. I need this man that came to my wife to come to me. And he prayed. He said, God, let the man of God come to me again. And the man of God, the angel, came. Then after he goes back to the wife and says, I met him. I talked to him. He, He said the same thing he told you. We're good now. They reconciled. Yes, we're in agreement. If two can agree on earth, how much can God do? But the issue is, is now Manoah had this mentality that the one true God is not a God of compassion and mercy and who desires to be near to His creation. So now he said, oh my goodness, God has came to me. Now I'm surely going to die. I'm going to die. Meaning he's lived a life of thinking and having an image of God as being a God that wants to destroy His creation instead of draw near and bring them near to Him. He thinks God is a destructive God, not a merciful, long-suffering, compassionate God. And I wonder how that now has affected Samson. Because now Samson feels like, you know what? Good shouldn't stay in my life. So he kept putting himself in circumstances to try to destroy the strength of God in his life. To try to stop the favor of God in his life. Of trying to stop the mercy of God in his life. Am I speaking to anybody before that seen the hand of God upon your life and seen God take you from glory to glory and to bless you and give you more than you can ever see? and imagine and deserve and yet you find yourself still fighting on the inside looking for a way to stop the blessing and the goodness and the favor of God because of self-destructing mentalities and habits that's what's called so many men have a midlife crisis because they've lived with wrong thinking came from their father about how they got to work and through work find approval and find acceptance and they build a life of doing that but the whole time something this wrong image of the heavenly father is within them and they get to a place of success and yet they start trying to undermine the success that they have been given from God why self-destructive habits self-destructive habits and you see all this in the life of Samson Samson ultimately is brought down by his weaknesses not brought down in a little way The, the source of his strength is cut And you know what that you know what that led to? His weaknesses that were undealt with led to more weaknesses. In Judges 16:21 it says the Philistines took him, put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza, and they bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. See listen, weaknesses led to his strength also becoming weak. And then led to another weakness being formed in his life. He also lost his vision. He lost his eyes. He lost his sight. Now I want to tell you and I today that life does not necessitate that we experience such type crisis. 
if we learn early on to surrender our weaknesses so that our strengths can be protected. But if we do not learn to surrender our character weaknesses to the power of the cross, then normally a crisis is needed. What do you do to guard your strength by submitting your weaknesses? Listen to me. You prioritize what presses and pesters you daily. Your character weakness is where you'll be pressed and pestered daily. So what do you do? You guard your strength by prioritizing what pesters you, what presses you daily. How do you do that? Acknowledge it. Acknowledge the weakness. Then invite the person of Jesus Christ through the work of His Holy Spirit into that area or area. Jesus is knocking on all of our lives. He's knocking on the church and He's saying, just acknowledge the weakness and invite my finished work in the ministry of the Holy Spirit into that because it's that way out of weaknesses His strength can come. I have no issue acknowledging my weaknesses. I have no issue you coming and talking about weaknesses and where it's got to grow but I do have an issue on the attitude you have when you do it (laughs) and we and one another should stand with each other to serve one another, to guard each other's strengths, to challenge each other to seek Jesus and the power of God for weaknesses but we should do it in ways of honoring and respecting one another then you know what you do, you pray and prophesy to those areas You pray to those areas and you prophesy God's word to those areas. You prophesy and you seed into those areas of your life the promises of God, the testimony of God, the faithfulness of God, the stories of God. You speak God's word into those areas. And then listen, you surround your issue with the right relationships. Some of you say, well, what if a crisis has already come? My life, Pastor Chad. What if I'm like Samson and I didn't surrender weaknesses early on and now it's making even my strengths vulnerable? If I've had crisis of character, it's led to a divorce or or, a brokenness or a failed job or this or that. Listen to me. God is a God of redemption. So just end your story in redemption. Listen, God is a God of redemption. So in your story and in your life, in his redemption. This is what you see with Samson. It says in Judges 16, 22, However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, Oh Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just as once. Oh God, that I may be in one blow. Take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. Samson took hold of the two middle pier pillars which supported the temple. He braced himself, one on his right and the other on his left. Then Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might. But it wasn't his might. He had returned to the source of his might. And the temple fell on the Lord's and all the people were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he killed in his life. He pushed with all his might, a might now sourced in the Lord. Listen, he was pressed by wrong relationships. Now he's pressing and pushing the wrong pillars that's trying to define his life. And fail. Love how he prayed again. He prayed again. You see it with Manoah. Judges 13, 8, Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child that will be born. 
Maybe there's some men here or men listening and you hear your wife talk about how she hears from God. Talk about how God comes to her, how God leads and speaks to her. Listen, do what my Noah said. May the God of my wife, and the, or maybe for you, it's the brothers and sisters in the community. You hear them talking about how God leads them and speaks to them. And you're saying, wait a minute, he's not appeared to me. No, you pray like Manoah said. Let the man of God come to me again. Let the man of God come to me again and teach me how to hear his voice. Teach me how to follow his steps. Teach me how to have character weaknesses made strong out of the cross. Teach me again. And I heard this for this church. I heard it for our life. I heard it for people that we would go out of here praying, Oh, man of God, come to us again. Who's that man of God? His name's Jesus. Jesus that the Father has revealed to you that Jesus is not just a prophet and a good man but he's the son of the living God he alone is the way the truth and the life and for you Jesus has came to you and the Father's revelation has came to you regarding Jesus as your Lord and Savior but some of you don't know the work you should do some of you don't know what the rule of your life should be now in following him that's what Manoah said. See, Manoah got faith that he would have a son because when he heard the word of the Lord, the word brought faith. It was faith coming through revelation. But listen to me. You have faith through revelation that Jesus is the Christ, but not all faith comes through revelation. Some faith has to be learned. And that's why Manoah said, Okay, I got faith now that I'm going to have a son, but now come again, man of God, and teach me what we shall do when the child is born. Now that I'm born again, now that my sins are forgiven, come again, Jesus, and teach me what it looks like to love you, to love others, to follow you. Teach me what the rule, what the convictions, what the values are that are to be the guide of my life. Teach me again, Lord, what is to be my work and my assignment in your vineyard and in your kingdom and my role in the body of Christ. Come and teach me again. Maybe marriages today need to say, Oh, man of God, Jesus, come and teach me again. Maybe some single people that gave up too easy on your career or education or what God had for you. Maybe you need to say, oh man of God, Jesus, come again and teach me. Maybe there's some single people that said, no, I'll never get married again. I'm not open to it. Maybe you need to say, oh man of God, Jesus, come and teach me again if you would have me get married again. I don't know where you need the Lord to teach you again, but I know as a church I heard we need to say, oh man of God, Jesus, come again and teach me. Come again and lead me. Come again and show me. Come again and give me more understanding that I would have some learned faith not just faith by revelation thank you so much for listening to this week's message if you would like more information about our church be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org